It's John chapter 5, beginning in verse 2 down through verse 6. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, or withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that as this morning unfolds and as Your Word comes forth, that You would speak to us, to our hearts, and as we break bread together, that we would also find Your heart in this place, in this moment speaking to us in ways that can transform our lives. Heavenly Father, that our lives would transform communities and that communities would transform counties and counties would transform states, states, nations, and nations, this world. Heavenly Father, may it start here with us. This is my prayer. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever prayed for somebody who was sick and didn't get the answer you wanted? Maybe even for yourself? Is there anything you've ever prayed for that you can think of that went unanswered? Or at least the way that you didn't want it to go? I have. I think we all have. But what if there was a way that you knew would work? Without fail. Every time. Would you try? My mind goes back to Naaman who had leprosy in the Old Testament. And um, he went to Elijah and asked for healing. And Elijah didn't even speak to him. Sent a servant said, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman was mad. He was so mad, he said, I can't believe he didn't just pronounce a blessing. we got clean rivers in my own country. Why does he want me to wash in a muddy river that doesn't make any sense? And he went away angry and wasn't going to go to the Jordan River. But someone encouraged him, as I'm going to encourage you today, and said, Naaman, if he had told you to climb the highest mountain to be healed of that disease, would you? If he had told you to go on a great trek or bring great treasures back and be healed, would you do it? And Naaman said, yes, I would. And he said, but he's not asking you to do something hard. And you refuse. Why don't you trust what God can do through His people? This morning I'm going to ask you to trust me a little bit more than is comfortable. But that's okay. Because I'm going to trust you a little bit more than is comfortable as well. Now I'm not going to pry. I'm not going to ask you to tell me things. I'm going to ask that you trust what I say is from God in His heart. You see, last night I had a different sermon than this one. Earlier in the week I had a different sermon than that one. But about five this morning I was woken up and I was told to do this one. 
Normally it takes me about three hours to four hours to figure out the bulletin and, and uh, the sermon notes and everything together. And this morning, thank goodness, it only took an hour and 20 minutes. But normally it takes a lot longer than that. It's because this is the right one. And I want to tell you this story about this man. We don't know his name. But he's a man who's been sick for 38 years. And Scripture records of no other longer person with infirmity longer than that. Now, yes, we have people who are stuck in sin their entire life. Uh, communities, regions, cities, and etc. But not a particular individual for 38 years. Second closest I found was a woman with an issue of blood for 17 years. And that's bad enough. But 38 years can be a lifetime when your life expectancy at that time was 45 to 50. He's been infirm, in other words, since birth. Probably. We don't know that either. But he comes across this man, and I've got to tell you how he got there, because this is interesting. You see, the temple is, was walled in, and they had different places around the outside of the temple where the animals were kept for sacrifices. And there's one place, the sheep gate, where they brought the sheep in and out of the city for those sacrifices. I say out. Into the city for the sacrifices. And they put them in these folds near the temple. And to get to where this man was at Bethesda, from my understanding, you had to go across the pathway where those sheep would come through the sheep gate to go beyond that to where the pool of Bethesda is on the other side. So today we're going to go beyond the temple where people are praying and worshiping and sacrificing. We're going to walk through the dung of the sheep to go to a place where a man who's sick is laying. And as he lays there, there's a pool of water called Bethesda. Now there's a story about this water. You see, the water is very special according to what they believe. And every now and then in this pool, which was about the size of half a set of these pool, uh, pews, where the water was, an angel would come down and the water would stir. Now, I don't know that they saw the angel, but they saw the water stirring. In, in the King James it says it was troubled. <laughs> troubled water. It made me think of the bridge over troubled water, but I'm glad that they changed that to stirred. Because the water stirred up. And the first person who makes it in was healed. This was a sure thing. A sure thing. It wasn't something where a man would wait 38 years trying to get in there on a false hope. It was a sure thing. And so when the water was troubled, the first one in would get in, they'd be healed, they could leave that place. But in that place where all these beautiful five porches were, were a lot of people who were, as it says, blind, lame, sick by paralysis, or if you will, withered. It means their limbs were drying up and become useless. And this man was one of those who was there. He was unable to move very quickly. Maybe you've seen folks like this. And they have struggled moving around very quickly. Well, this was this man. And whenever the water would stir, he'd go, Ah, oh, I've been waiting 30 years, you know? And someone else would be there. And he'd go, Oh, got to wait another day. 
38 years trying to be first and never, never making it, but still hoping against hope. I don't know about you, but after a while you might begin to think that it's hopeless. You'll never get in the water. And the only way these folks ate was people brought them something. This is where they lived. It's where they stayed. They couldn't go anywhere unless someone moved them. And this man gave up, I believe, and became stuck in his thinking. All he needed was to be first when an angel came. At this pool, as I said, there were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed or withered. And the blind people correspond to us spiritually in this way. That they were not able to see the truth of who they are or whose they are. In spiritual blindness, we don't know who we belong to or the power that yields in our life. God has amazing plans for you. He can do so much through you. But sometimes we don't see how wonderful God is and how big a universe He's created and how He's trying to pour all this on us and upon each of us individually, and that means you too, for you to be a witness of His goodness. And we say, oh, no, God, I just don't see that. Because we're spiritually blind. Well, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. God is not worried about whether you're good enough or bad enough. He took care of that on Calvary. The cross covered the good enough or bad enough stuff. And so the blindness spiritually for us happens when we refuse to see the truth that God has displayed in our lives. It's kind of like this. It's like you believe you're an orphan. That you really don't have a God as a Heavenly Father who loves you. And it's like not only thinking you're an orphan, but living as one when you actually belong in the wealthiest family on earth as a child of the family, an heir. My question for you this morning is if you're struggling with spiritually blindness, here's how you tell. Do you know where you belong and who you belong to this morning? I want you to remember that question because I'm going to ask you to answer it. Those who are lame, sometimes it's called the halt. Halt is what it means. You can't go anywhere, you're halted. It corresponds to the lack of confidence spiritually in your ability or in God to use the ability that you do have. You don't trust it anymore. Do you have confidence that God can use what He's given you? Do you believe God has put within you all that He needs for you to give Him glory? Or do you think something's missing? And that confidence that says, yes, He can use me just like I am for His glory may be missing in your life. Maybe you want that back. Maybe you've never had it and you want it now. This is the lane in the faith. Because we just don't believe we can do it. Because we're too uncapable or incapable. So I'm asking you this morning, do you want the confidence to know God can use you as you are? And the paralyzed, (laughs) 
I, I almost think, I don't even need to go into this one, but this is probably the one I spend the most time on, is our spiritual paralysis. Withered. It's when we give up on our effectiveness to bring about God's gifts, presence, or change in the world due to no results. It's not worked for us before. It hasn't worked for me. I don't know how to do it. We think of all the results we haven't gotten. It's like the disciples fishing all night. And Jesus comes along and He says, Fishermen, what's going on? We've been fishing all night and no fish. And Jesus gives them that boost of confidence and says, You've been fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Throw it on the other side. They said, We've tried. We have, but Your Word will do it. So they just need a little bit of... of what do I want to say here? Uh, willingness to take the chance again. Now this mindset, it's not going to work. That spiritual paralysis is not going to work. I believe God knows what He's doing through you, and He wants to. But the problem though is, not only do we have no results, we also feel rejection. When we feel rejected, it feels really hard inside to go forward. Hardest thing a salesperson ever can do is overcome the fear of rejection or the pain of it and not take it personal because sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But rejection is a very difficult thing to overcome. Look at a two-year-old. No, no, they're already freaking out. They can't handle it at age two. How do you think we can handle it later? Unless we learn that no is one step closer to yes. Here's how they used to tell us this in sales school. For every... 85 no's, you'll get 15, we'll talk about it, and maybe one yes. So a guy would take a tally sheet and wait until he had 85 no's before he'd ever say, you can do some other kind of line of work. Because if you get 85 no's and you're still going, you've got something. But a lot of us stop on the first or second rejection. Well, I, I told people about Jesus, they just didn't want to hear it. Maybe they weren't ready. It doesn't mean you quit. But paralysis says rejection says I'm not effective. Sometimes we get persecuted. Oh, you're going to that church. I hope we're one day called. Yeah, I go to that church. There's a church out there that is called that church by name. That's its name. And so they say we are that church. <laughs> it's the one that's different. The one that actually makes a difference it isn't about feeding the members, it's about changing the world. That church. That church that cares. That church that loves. That church is going to get persecution and going to be criticized because of all the people who walk in are not godly. And I don't know about you, but I understand church to be a hospital for sick souls. I don't understand it to be a place of, of a museum where you go in and look like a saint that's already done the race. We're not here sitting on a stand or a pedestal and saying, look at me, I'm done. We're coming in here to get remotivated, learn how to do the work of God, and then go out and do it. This is training ground. This is healing ground. This is a place where God meets us in our brokenness and transforms us into His people with power. So we're going to get persecuted. Because we're going to talk different. We're going to talk to the people other people think are unwanted and unwelcome. And that's okay. 
I'd rather be known for someone who loves a broken person than someone who did not. I don't know about you, but I would. It's not their fault that they're broken all the time. Sometimes they can't get out of their circumstances. And sometimes we give up on our effectiveness due to the loss of the sense of urgency. I mentioned the prayer request, Venezuela and North Korea. And every time I look around, there's signs that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and the gap is getting bigger and this world's hurting worse and worse and we're pushing it under the road. If you want a mission field, you can go just about anywhere in this world including your backyard. For some of us in our own home, and you're going to find a mission field. i got a sermon coming up speaking of mission fields. That there are two in our lives. The first one is when we are the one who is being reached. That's the first missionary journey to us. The second one is when we go out. We are the second missionary journey going to the next person for their first missionary journey. And I tell you that that sense of urgency is that... that yeah, there's always going to be poor people, as Jesus said, but not these poor people. These folks may not survive and may not have Jesus. And we're saying, well, you know, we brush it off and say there will always be poor people. There will be someone else who will do it. God is not asking us for someone else to do it. He's asking us to be His hands and feet. And sometimes we give up our effectiveness and we question God or walk away from the faith. We're paralyzed when we don't know if God really is who He says He is. Or if we even really believe anymore. We go through those cycles in the faith where God is closer, further, closer, further. And each time, it seems like the further away you get, the worse it hurts, and the closer you get, the greater it is. Because the mountains become higher and the peaks become higher and the valleys become deeper. Well, didn't Jesus say abundant life? You're not just kind of going like this. You're having the highs and the lows, and that's in abundance. You're feeling it all that God has to offer. The highs and lows, the goods and the bads. And I think when we begin to understand that God is created His kingdom through us, that we are truly effective if we'll just say yes. Here's what one person said. If you ask God to change you or to teach you something that you don't know and He refuses, if He doesn't heal something in you, He intends to use you as you are. That He will use you the way He's made you. And if He wants you to change, He'll do it because that will be a part of your testimony. But He will also give you the part of your testimony that says, I was broken and God still used me. I was nothing in the sight of other people, but somehow, some way, God spoke to others through my brokenness. And I don't know how He did that. So my question is, if you're in spiritual paralysis, do you want to make a difference for God? And it's true. Spiritual blindness, spiritual being lame and ineffective through paralysis are good reasons to not continue. If you're looking for reasons to not continue. But the question is, do you want to change the world? Do you want God to use you? Do you want to believe He can and will if you just say yes? 
We look for reasons for what we want to do or what we don't want to do. And we justify them. We always have. We always will. But let me tell you something. You are not a victim of this world. There is no victim in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says you are more than a conqueror. A lot of us live defeated lives, yet we're conquerors according to God. That means we don't understand who we are. We're blind to that truth. If God doesn't change the situation or you, He's going to use that situation to bring glory to His kingdom and to Himself and blow your mind to how He did it when you didn't think it was possible. There's nothing greater for God to do than to make the odds so overwhelming that you know you didn't do it. God just loves that. I could reference Gideon with 300 men against 300,000 or however many it was. When Gideon had like twenty or 30,000 men, God says that's too many, you'll get the glory. He pared all that down to 300 men. And He said, don't bring any weapons, just bring clay pitchers. <laughs> so no weapons into the fight either, just clay pitchers. They're going, we can't win. He said, you're right, you can't win. That means God will do it for you. That you have to trust God. And our faith sometimes is ineffective because we're paralyzed in our trust of God. But God is the only one you can trust. And He's the last one some people do. There are angels all around us. Did you know that? We've talked about them in, in the previous message or two. And I don't know who the angels are in your life. But I brought the pool Bethesda this morning. It says in Scripture, the water is a sign of cleansing, restoration, renewal, refreshing. Living water. Living water is water that moves. <laughs> An angel stirs the water. It's moving water. It's living. So this water is moving. It's going from the pitcher into the bowl. But soon, it will become stagnant. Nothing happening. And that's unfortunate. Because it needs a stirring of the waters, as Scripture says, by an angel to heal it. And I have a feeling that each one of us is an angel in somebody else's life. Stir the water. I brought you two things you can choose to stir it with. One representing red, the cleansing power of Christ's blood. One black, the darkness of sin. And you say, oh, hey, that's pretty neat. What am I doing with that? I'll tell you in just a moment. Don't get ahead of me. This water is waiting to be stirred. And there are people waiting to be restored, healed, made whole. Dare we, meaning you, meaning me, put our infirmity, our hesitancy, our struggle into the water once it's stirred? Or waiting for the stirring of the waters where God can do something? 
The question Jesus asked that man who had an infirmity for 38 years, I ask you, do you want to be made whole? Wholeness of mind, maybe. Wholeness of emotions or heart. Wholeness of purity or motive. Wholeness physically. Maybe that is what you struggle with. We all struggle with something. There are lots of struggles. Unconfessed sin can keep us back. Financial issues. Unanswered prayers. Lost souls we pray for that don't seem to find salvation. Some sort of physical problem. We may have a ministry we're praying for that doesn't seem to be happening. Maybe this ministry at this church is something you really want to see take off and bloom and grow. And you're just not sure if God will do it or how He can. And you want God to stir the waters so this church will do that. Maybe that's your heart this morning. Or maybe you know somebody or yourself struggling with some sort of addiction or addictive tendencies and you just can't let it go. Or maybe you have struggle with emotional issues like anger, depression, grief, or anxiety as I have. Well, this morning, I have a marker in my hand. And I'm going to put something in this bowl and let it be stirred. And let's see what happens when the water is stirred. And I'm going to write it on there and I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to ask you to do the same but not show it to anybody. This is between you and God. But I just want you to see how much I trust the water being stirred. Now there's different sizes of paper here. Some people want to put any bitty stuff down. There's bigger sheets like I'm going to use so I can show you. There's smaller squares. And yet smaller. And some folks are really nervous. Don't want anybody to see anything. Gotta leave these square. I'm just gonna ask you when you come up for communion to grab one, two, three, however many sheets you need, and write something on it. This is what I'm going to write on mine. I've written a couple things down ahead of time, so I'd know to do this and not make it up on the spot. Um, And some of you may struggle with some of these very same things, and it's okay. I've picked three. You can pick as many or as few as you want. You may just put a soul of a loved one who doesn't know Jesus Christ's name on a piece of paper. Now, I don't know if you can read my writing all the way back, so I'm going to share these with you. These are personal, but they're important and they matter. Number one is tonight. Number two, I struggle with anxiety. And number three, I have a fear of change. But I also know change is important. But what I'm going to ask you to do is take that fold that you don't have to show a soul. I don't want to see it. I never will see it once you put it in the water. Watch what happens. As I put it in the water and I stir it, I mix it in with the blood of Christ. And if you, after the water is stirred, can possibly read what was written there, you've done more than I can. Do you see any paper in there? The paper will vanish. It will disappear. It's between you and God. It's saying, God, I'm giving this to you. You take it. I'll not deal with it again. It's yours. It's not mine. I have put it into the water. The angel of God has stirred it. Being you, you as an angel and representative of God will stir your own. 
so you can watch it disappear. And when you do that, I'm going to ask you to put on there something that's between you and God and ministry. Something holding you back. And if you have loved ones that you know need Jesus Christ, put them there and say, God, these are yours. This is all your concern. I'm following you here forward. I'll do what you want me to do without fear. I'll do it. And if you have fear, then put it in there. And say, God, I'm giving that to you. You use me as I am. Fear and all. Broken and all. Unsure and all. Just take me, God, and show me that you can use someone like me for your kingdom. Because I have stopped believing that. I've become paralyzed in it. I'm asking God this week to give me opportunity to witness to His grace and glory and bring a soul, at least one, to Jesus Christ this week. At least one. I'll tell you a story, and, and, and I don't like this story because it, it doesn't seem something I can think of, but I was at Emmaus, and I was praying, and I said, I just want to see more souls for Christ, and a guy prayed over me, he said, well, how many? And I said, I'd like to see, you know, a thousand souls before I'm gone, and he says, no, a million. And I looked at him, and I said, I can't do a million. He says, right, you can't do one. God can. And you believe Him for a million. And you watch Him do it. If you believe Him for it, God will help you do that. But if you don't believe, how can you ever even try? If you don't believe that God can do it, how can you ever step out there? Put your fears in the water. Stir them away and let God heal that out of your life this morning. You see, we went to the sheep through the sheep pool where they traveled through beyond the temple this morning, we came across a man struggling. He'd given up and become stuck in his thinking. The story is that the water, if he would just put something in it and it was stirred, then it would be healed. And if God did that, and Jesus came and saw the man who couldn't get into the water, I believe He'll do it for us today. That He will stir you. He will stir the water. And He will stir our church and our regions. And God will bring about healing. Do you know where you belong? If not... It's time to find out. If you've lost your confidence, it's time to get it back. If you don't believe you make a difference and you're ineffective, it's time to tell God you want to be. So I'm inviting you in communion this morning in just a moment. Right on the paper first. And after that, Take one of the utensils and stir and watch it disappear. It's not worth anymore. And once you've done that, the elements will also be here on the table that you would receive the elements and pray at the altar or where you are here at this table. Or to the pew, wherever there's room. This may take a little time, and that's okay. This is not a sprint. Our faith is a Marathon. We're in it for the long haul. 
when I've given up just because it felt ineffective and just because we haven't trained all the way, we're going to keep running the race. This is the way to tell God that. And um, if you don't need to write anything on the paper, if you think it's all set between you and God and you know nobody who needs Jesus Christ, you can put church on there. I promise you, this church needs all the prayers we can get as we seek to go forward in ministry. The elements, as I said, are individual. They're in the plate, the bread, which is Christ's body broken for you. He said, take me as often as you will in remembrance of Him. Folks are not used to handling little cups. If you want to help them, please do. I invite you to help others who need help. I'll be here to assist as I will. But I just don't want to watch you write because I know it's between you and God. So I'll stand to the side to do that. But Jesus Christ said, This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Take us and drink often as you will in remembrance of me. And all he's saying is, Don't forget what I've done for you tonight. Don't forget what I'm doing for you now. And don't forget what I will do for you when I come in victory. This is the elements of the communion. I have to tell you something. I'm one of those people who is a skeptic. And so God had to do a work on me. And I was at hospice when Willie was on his last few days, and they had something set up like this. This is where I learned of it. And I wrote something on there with this particular pen. And this particular pen is guaranteed not to break contact with, with paper. I'm accepted. And I went to a place that showed how you can clean anything off paper. And they had markers and other pens and Sharpies and all sorts of things, and different things to clean it. And they all came off the paper. So I wrote on that paper with this pen at that place. And I tried all the chemicals and the ink would not come off the paper. And I thought, well, if I put that there in the water, it's going to make that word float. <laughs> because as a skeptic, I thought it wouldn't break its bond. But I promise you, this pen cannot break the bond of Jesus Christ. And it disintegrates too. There will be nothing left of what you've written. This is a promise. This is the new God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, it's, uh, it's no small thing that you've asked us to 